Hey folks, you guys know I'm always diving into the dark corners of history, unearthing the stories that are sure to chill. Mastering the art of storytelling and research isn't just a passion, it's a craft. That's why I turned to Masterclass. Whether I'm analyzing historical documents or piecing together ghostly tales, Masterclass has been an invaluable resource in honing my skills. Masterclass lets you learn from over 200 of the world's best minds right at your fingertips. And the best part is it's all available for just $10 a month with an annual membership. I've been particularly captivated by the class on investigative journalism taught by Pulitzer Prize winner Bob Woodward. His insights into uncovering the truth may have transformed the way I approach each episode here. What's incredible is that 88% of members feel that Masterclass has made a positive impact on their lives. And trust me, I'm one of them. The depth of knowledge and practical tips I've gained have boosted my confidence and enriched the content that I bring to you every week. As a listener of Haunted American History, you get an exclusive 15% off an annual membership. Just visit masterclass.com slash haunted. That's masterclass.com slash haunted to save 15% on limitless learning. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So what are you going to lose? Don't wait. Join me and start transforming your passions into expertise by visiting masterclass.com slash haunted. I'll see you there. The Great Lakes of the United States are a series of large, interconnected freshwater lakes in the Upper East region of the country. They are Lakes Superior, Michigan, Huron, Erie, and Ontario, and are located near or on the United States and Canada border. The Great Lakes are the largest group of freshwater lakes on Earth by total area and second largest by volume, containing 21% of the world's surface freshwater by volume. The total surface area is 94,250 square miles. That is mind-boggling to me. I can't even fathom that size. Yes, I live on the East Coast and am fortunate enough to have lived near the Atlantic Ocean my entire life, but something about a body of water that size, smack in the middle of land, comes off as creepy to me. Because of their sea-like characteristics, such as rolling waves, sustained winds, strong currents, immense depths, and distant horizons, the five Great Lakes have been called the Inland Seas. The Great Lakes were formed nearly 20,000 years ago, at the end of the last ice age. Canada, as well as the northern part of the United States, was completely covered in ice. The Earth's climate warmed, the lakes were sculpted by a glacial continental ice sheet. Its movement was so powerful that it scraped the surface of the Earth and created the lake's basins. Gradually, the glacier continued its retreat. The land it had previously weighed down began to rebound and warp upward. Large chunks of left-behind ice pushed down the soil with their immense weight and melted to create lakes. These forces, combined together, gave the Great Lakes the shape we know them by today. During this very long process, at least as far back as 15,000 BCE, humans had already migrated to areas within the Great Lakes Basin. Contrary to popular belief, evidence shows that the history of human habitation in that region goes back to at least the close of the last ice age. Several Native American populations, mostly Paleo tribes, inhabited the region around 10,000 BC, after the end of the Wisconsin glaciation. The people of the Great Lakes traded with the Hopewell culture from around 1000 AD 
as copper nuggets have been extracted from the region and fashioned into ornaments and weapons in the mounds of southern Ohio. The Rush-Bagat Treaty, signed in 1818, after the War of 1812, and the later Treaty of Washington, eventually led to the complete disarmament of Navy vessels in the Great Lakes. Nonetheless, both nations maintained Coast Guard vessels in the Great Lakes. The main business of many of the passenger lines in the 19th century was transporting immigrants. Many of the larger cities owe their existence to their position on the lakes as a freight destination, as well as being a magnet for immigrants. After railroads and service roads developed, the freight and passenger businesses dwindled, and except for ferries and a few foreign cruise ships, have now totally vanished. The immigration routes still have an effect today, though. Immigrants often form their own communities, and some have a pronounced ethnicity, such as Dutch, German, Polish, and Finnish. Since many immigrants settled for a time in New England before moving westward, many areas on the U.S. side of the Great Lakes also have a New England feel especially in home styles and accents. The large size of the Great Lakes increase the risk of water travel. Storms and reefs are common threats. The lakes are prone to sudden and severe storms, in particular in the autumn, from late October to early December. Hundreds of ships and sailors have met their end on the Great Lakes. The Lake Superior shipwreck coast from Grand Marius, Michigan to Whitefish Point became known as the Graveyard of the Great Lakes. More vessels have been lost in the Whitefish Point area than any other part of Lake Superior. The Whitefish Point Underwater Preserve serves as an underwater museum to protect many shipwrecks in that area. On my first trip ever up to Lake George, I couldn't believe the size of it. And Lake George isn't even one of the greats, even though I think it's pretty swell. It's a baby compared to them. A doghouse to Lake Superior's palatial estate. Being so old, they are bound to be bursting with stories of myth, and boy, was I happy to discover they are a virtual treasure trove, full of Native American folklore and old-timey sailor tales. Each of the lakes seems to be rich with their own personal lore, such as Lake Superior's Mishipishu. Also known as the Underwater Panther or the Great Lynx, Mishipishu is an Ojibwe water creature with the head and paws of a cat, the horns of a bison, and a scaly reptilian body. Mishipishu is said to speak in a roaring hiss, that emulates the sound of rushing water. Mishipishu dwells in the depths of Lake Superior, near Mishipikotan Island. Often considered a malevolent being, Mishipishu spends its time guarding large quantities of copper on the island, bringing death and misfortune to unfortunate sailors, and occasionally causing severe storms. Lake Michigan has the Michigan Triangle. You've most likely heard of the Bermuda Triangle, but did you know that Lake Michigan has a triangular region known for its lost ships and airplanes? The three points of the Lake Michigan Triangle land in Manitowoc, Wisconsin, Ludington, Michigan, and Benton Harbor, Michigan. Strange occurrences date back as early as 1881, when the boat the Thomas Hume vanished without a trace. In 1921, the Rosa Bell was found floating upside down, emptied of all its passengers. It was thought that there must have been a collision though no ships nearby ever reported any incidents. A myriad of culprits have been blamed for the mysterious events, ranging from UFOs to time travel portals to just simply the weather. How about Lake Erie's Bessie? Bessie is the Canadian cousin of Scotland's Loch Ness Monster. The first ever recorded account of Bessie was in 1793, and sightings have only become more common in the past few decades. Bessie is said to be a long, snake-like creature that is anywhere from 16 to 60 feet long, Witness accounts of Bessie vary quite a bit, 
from descriptions of dog-like heads to fins and even having human-like arms. What's the Lake Ontario Serpent, you ask? Well, Lake Ontario Serpent is one of the most sighted lake monsters in Canada, with legends cropping up across various cultures and time periods. The Seneca spoke of Gassiandiatha, an enormous hydra snake that could breathe fire like a dragon and fly like a bird. Near Kingston, Ontario, folklore tells of the King's Tie, a famous beast around 30 feet long with short legs and a tail. King's Tie's first sightings was reported in 1881 by passengers aboard a ship called the Gypsy. The creature is so well known, it was the subject of a massive hoax in 1934, similar to Orson Welles' The War of the Worlds. And lastly is my personal favorite, Lake Huron's Lost Civilization. In 2009, University of Michigan researchers discovered archaeological evidence of human activity preserved 100 feet below the surface of Lake Huron. Their findings suggest the presence of an advanced ancient civilization dating back to 7th millennium BC. In the depths of the lake, on what was once a land bridge 9,000 years ago, researchers identified human-made formations that may have been used for hunting caribou. The structures were astonishingly well-preserved due to the relative calmness of Lake Huron and their offshore location. Hey folks, you guys know I'm always diving into the dark corners of history unearthing the stories that are sure to chill. Mastering the art of storytelling and research isn't just a passion. It's a craft. That's why I turned to Masterclass. Whether I'm analyzing historical documents or piecing together ghostly tales, Masterclass has been an invaluable resource in honing my skills. Masterclass lets you learn from over 200 of the world's best minds right at your fingertips. And the best part? is it's all available for just $10 a month with an annual membership. I've been particularly captivated by the class on investigative journalism taught by Pulitzer Prize winner Bob Woodward. His insights into uncovering the truth may have transformed the way I approach each episode here. What's incredible is that 88% of members feel that Masterclass has made a positive impact on their lives. And trust me, I'm one of them. The depth of knowledge and practical tips I've gained have boosted my confidence and enriched the content that I bring to you every week. As a listener of Haunted American History, you get an exclusive 15% off an annual membership. Just visit masterclass.com slash haunted. That's masterclass.com slash haunted to save 15% on limitless learning. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So what are you going to lose? Don't wait. Join me and start transforming your passions into expertise by visiting masterclass.com slash haunted. I'll see you there. Silver Bay, Minnesota. Lawrence pulled up his car and parked it near the large hanging tree in front of the property. He rolled the windows of their blue 2004 four-tour station wagon down and gazed upon the lake house. A smile manifested on his face. He had a good feeling about this place. The family hasn't been on vacation together in forever, and he was looking forward to kicking back and spending quality time with his wife and kids. God knows they needed it. From the front passenger seat, Elizabeth looked in awe on how majestic the house looked. It was an old lake house, which was recently renovated. The red roof glimmered in the sunlight, and the whole wooden structure of the house stood tall and proud, majestically tucked behind trees with the glimmer of the lake at its back. There was something magical and assertive about this house. It commanded everyone's attention. From the back of the car, two boys peep out and immediately open the door and race toward the lawn. Ryan was 14 and Jason was 12. 
even though Jason was the younger one, his height made him look like he was the older of the two. Still in the back seat strapped to the car seat, two-year-old Franny looked toward her side with her eyes wide open. The red roof had captured the toddler's attention as well. Their little Yorkie, Max, scurried about the car floor and jumped out onto the lawn to chase after the boys. Larry got out and opened the rear hatch to get their luggage. The car was filled with bags, as well as a foldable patio umbrella and lounge chairs. Elizabeth unstrapped Franny and told her to go with the boys, who were now exploring the outskirts of the house. Liz shouted to get the boys' attention to let them know that their sister was coming and to keep an eye on her. The front of the house had a decent lawn, but the main attraction was in the backyard. Jason, Ryan, Franny, and Max went around to the back of the house. There they saw that the backyard was really only half the size of the front yard, but the real showstopper was the lake. The water looked so calm. It was almost perfectly mirroring the sunny sky above. As they scanned the scenery, taking it all in, they noticed there was a pier. But unlike the rest of the house, newly painted and looking just stunning, this pier was old. Not only old, but upon further inspection, Jason found mold, algae, and some sort of fungus growing on the wood. It was just a rickety old thing, so just the kind of thing the kids would want to play on. It hardly went along with the well-maintained house or the soul-calming lake. When Jason, who was the daredevil of the two, started stepping out onto the pier, Max broke out in a furious rage of barks and leaps. He was throwing a major tantrum, even biting on Jason's shoelaces, attempting to tug him away from the pier. Ryan felt something off about this. Usually, Max is a very calm dog. This was the first time any of them had seen him act like that. Larry and Liz came through the back door of the house and playfully scolded the boys for not helping them with the luggage. The pier caught their notice, and Liz shouted at the boys that they better not step foot on that or you'll break your back, whatever that means. Larry, on the other hand, with no regard to whatever was happening to Max and walking right past Jason having his foot damn near eaten by five and a half pounds of pure rage, stepped on the pier and went out to its far end. He stomped some of the areas loudly with his foot and declared it to be safe. He told everyone to head back to the house to set everything up and turned around to see the lake one more time before going back to the house to finish getting settled in. He didn't want to go back. It was as if the lake was calling to him. Larry snapped out of his trance and went back to the yard to set up the barbecue. He thought how fortunate they were to have gotten in this place. It was three weeks ago now. He was looking through the Sunday newspaper and reading a particularly gruesome story about a missing family when a subtle ad next to it caught his eye. It was for an old lake house that was recently renovated by a vacation company, and as a promotional offer, they were renting the house for 50% less than the normal in-season price, and throwing in a luxurious houseboat, which from the picture in the ad looks nothing short of a fancy yacht. But the catch was, it was only available on certain dates. Well, what do you know? One of the weeks available fall into the week of Larry's vacation, and the kids were already off for the summer. The deal was too good to pass up. He dialed the number in the ad almost immediately. After he was done setting up the barbecue and the backyard table, he saw that Max was still on edge. His eyes were focused on the pier as if he was readying himself for something to come out of it. Seconds later, Franny poked her head out of the back door to call Larry and Max in for lunch. And with a giggle, Franny said, Max waiting for big fog to come out. Franny had a tough time with our sounds. She had a tough time with a lot of words. She was two. Give her a break. Larry smiled and took both Max and Franny inside the house to eat. While they were having their lunch, they heard some weird noises outside. It was coming from the backyard, and it sounded like an old diesel engine. Larry recognized it must be the houseboat being dropped off and immediately rushed outside. Indeed, it was the houseboat. 
It had a matching paint job of the house, red and white. It looked staggeringly expensive, and was really meant to house a whole party inside rather than just a single family, but Larry was happy to have it all to themselves. What struck him as odd was that they didn't hear the boat approach, or see it on the horizon when they were outside, but only a sudden noise of an engine switching off, which sounded horrible as if the boat was over 100 years old. Added to that, there was nobody in the boat. There was no way that the captain or whomever piloted the boat over here could have docked it and took off without anybody seeing them. It was as if the boat just manifested out of thin air. This thought was promptly abrupted by the screaming of kids who were rushing out to come and see the boat. Max, as before, tried to fight the kids from going to the pier, but Liz lifted him up into her arms and went out to check out the boat with everyone else. There was a small pool at one end of the boat, with a slide that started from the top deck and led straight into the pool. There was also a hot tub with a TV and a mini bar set up on the top deck as well. Inside the lower deck, there was a dining room with another bar and a pool table. There were also three bedrooms and two bathrooms. It was truly a luxurious boat. Larry knew everyone wanted to take it for a spin, so he announced that they would be setting off on the lake the next day. First thing in the morning, the cheer from the two boys was deafening. He went out to look at the captain's cabin. Everything in there was brand new as if it had all been recently purchased. But the one thing that stood out was the helm. It was made out of wood, but it looked rotten and old. It reminded them of the old pier. He guessed it must be an old sailor superstition, and brushed the other side, and found the keys to the boat inside the ignition switch. They all went back ashore to spend the rest of the day unpacking and spending some time around the house. Liz was preparing to serve food for dinner. She was getting the plates ready, when she noticed something outside the window. She could see the lake had a blanket of mist on it, but in that fog, she could faintly see something which resembled a man on a small fishing boat. When she called Larry to check it out, the figure was gone. She figured it must have been something else skewed by the low visibility or a reflection of a tree in the water, and then just carried on with dinner. The next morning came around, and they all packed most of their things onto the boat. They decided to have a night or two just out on the lake. Larry had charted a route deeper into the lake, which supposedly had some really rare fish, and was excited to try and catch some with his boys. Larry had a bit of trouble starting up the engine. The engine almost refused to turn over, but after a lot of cranking, it chugged along. He looked at the fuel gauge and it had a full tank, and all the other readings were in the green. The whole family was on board and everything was set. He charted the course and steered away from the dock. Everyone got into their swimsuits immediately and couldn't wait to try out the pool. They even taught their mother into letting them use the slide, once she thought it was safe, of course. It felt great to be under the sun out on the water. They were enjoying the pool and simultaneously enjoying the lake view. The lake opened up further along they went. They couldn't believe how absolutely massive it was. They really weren't kidding by naming these things the Great Lakes. Eventually, the only noise they heard was theirs. They pulled away from most other boat traffic about 45 minutes ago. The lake was empty, quiet, and most importantly, it was peaceful. Once Larry found the perfect spot, he dropped anchor and joined the family by the pool. After the pool fun, Larry went up to the hot tub to relax while the kids still splashed around in the pool. Liz put Franny in her playpen and poured herself another glass of wine and watched the lake as the boat slowly swayed back and forth. While she was looking out into the water, she noticed something. There was a wooden board with something on it. At first, she didn't realize what it was, but as it got closer to the boat, it was clear. It was a severed human foot. Liz broke out into a scream and sent her glass of wine crashing to the ground. The boys jumped out of the pool and came rushing toward their mother. 
When the kids asked what was wrong, she pointed to the plank bobbing in the lake. To her surprise, or relief, it wasn't a severed foot. It was just some gunk that maybe kind of resembled one. She apologized to the kids and decided that maybe she should lay off the wine today. She thought that the combination of sun, boat, and booze may be inducing some seasickness in her. Meanwhile, Larry hadn't heard the scream. He was in the hot tub relaxing, and he had those jets roaring. But suddenly he heard a faint cry. It sounded like a little girl was crying for help, but the sound was so faded he couldn't be sure. It felt like it was coming from underneath him. He feared if Franny had gone down to the engine compartment and quickly grabbed a towel and dashed downstairs. He saw the engine compartment door was still shut with its lock on. Well, that's a relief. Maybe too much sun. He headed poolside to check on the rest of the family. Everyone was there, including Franny. Larry asked if she had gone anywhere or cried, but Liz said that she was with her the whole time. The kids then told him of what happened to their mother, and they all had a good laugh. The kids went on for about 15 minutes making fun of her, to the point of her getting really, really annoyed at them. Larry and Liz excused themselves from the kids and told them to keep an eye on their sister. They discussed what happened with the both of them, and it felt strange for them to have such vivid hallucinations at the same time. Suddenly, there was a big bang, followed by a violent sound of metal on metal. It sounded like a car crash. With that, the engine died, and the boat silenced abruptly. It was quiet for a long while. Larry quickly went to check on the engine, but couldn't manage to get the lock open on the hatch door. It then occurred to him that he hadn't brought any tools with him, and as far as he knew, the boat didn't come with any. Luckily, there was a radio receiver, and he signaled out for help. After just getting static responses to their calls for help for what seemed like forever, the radio finally clicked black. The response was broken up, and all that came through was, We're on our way. He thought that it sounded like they said they were on their way. There was a wave of relief that came across everyone. It was still unsettling to find themselves stranded in the middle of a lake. As far as they could see, it was only water on all sides of them. There was possibly land to their east, but they couldn't 100% be certain. And besides, it's not like any of them would be able to swim that distance. And rowing this big boat was out of the question. They were sitting together in the houseboat's dining room, just waiting for the rescue killing time. When Max started throwing a tantrum again, he was running all over the place, barking and nipping at everyone's feet. What has gotten into this dog? Larry thought. Suddenly they heard knocking. Everyone got quiet. Hell, even Max shut up. Larry grabbed a half a bottle of Kettle One sitting next to the bar and grasped it by the neck, holding it like a club. He started making his way toward the knocking. It was coming from near the engine compartment underneath them. As he was approaching, he also heard noises from outside. They all heard them. People shouting and calling. The rescuers had arrived. They all rushed outside to meet them, but were dismayed to see they were encompassed in a thick mist. It was almost impossible to see where the noise was coming from. The mist enveloped the boat, leaving only a few feet of view out beyond the railings on the deck. Max hadn't been quiet since then, constantly running about and barking at the lake. Larry and the boys kept trying to reach the rescue team, radioing them and shining flashlights, but it was futile. Ever since the mist swallowed them, all networks were gone. Even their cell phones were rendered useless. There was a silver lining, however. The last message that broke through the static before completely going dead was a cutoff. Try again. Larry hoped that meant they would try again, since the message was broken and he only heard part of it. It was nonetheless reassuring. Anything is better than knowing you're stranded. Max suddenly went quiet and started chasing after a scent. 
Larry caught wind of this and decided to pursue him. Max ran directly to the hatch door of the engine compartment. Larry's heart skipped a beat when he noticed it was open. The little Yorkie dashed inside. Max, no! Larry shouted with no avail. Hesitant, Larry went in behind him. Meanwhile, the kids were with their mom poolside. She was keeping them busy and their mind off things with snacks. Franny kept getting up and walking towards the edge of the boat, repeating, Big Fog. Big Fog is man now. Big Fog. Whip it. Whip it. Whip it. Liz was wondering where she got that from. Fog. Frog was a new word for her. Franny finally went silent for a while and stared out into the water. She spoke up again after a few minutes when she turned to her family and said, Fwishes. Fwishes weird and pointed down toward the water. Ryan came beside her and had a look at what she was pointing at. He immediately pulled his head back in disgust. These were no ordinary looking fish. They had teeth sticking out of their mouth in jagged points. It looked like a fence around a haunted house. They had no eyes, just empty eye sockets, and their bodies were marred with claw marks. Ryan pulled Franny away and took his sister and their snacks inside the dining room. Liz went to check out what those fishes were, but by the time she got there, they were gone. Meanwhile, Larry surveyed the entire compartment. The engine reeked of rotting eggs and old motor oil. He decided to take this opportunity to have a good look at the engine. Max heard something on the other side of the machinery and dashed back outside the room barking. He's an idiot, that dog, Larry said to himself as he continued his inspection. Shortly after he was done poking around, he decided he would go see where that damn dog ran off to. But as soon as he reached the door, it slammed shut. A chill ran down his spine as he called for help, banging on the door. There was no answer. The engine cabin was close to the dining room, so there was no way they couldn't hear his banging and calls for help. Larry took out his cell phone and switched on the flashlight on it. It wasn't much, but it illuminated enough of the room to see where he was going. He had a better look at the engine now. There was some kind of gunk being built up on the gears, similar to that stuff that was on the pier. Finally, he managed to find a sturdy metal rod and used it to crank the door open. He made his way to the dining room, only to find it empty with the sliding doors that led to the pool deck left ajar. When he got outside, he found Franny crying and Liz comforting her. Larry went near Ryan and Jason, who were looking at the water shaking, with tears streaming down their faces. When asked what happened, they simply pointed to the water. Larry looked down, and his insides felt like they dropped out of him. Their little Yorkie was floating in the water, mutilated. Jason told his dad while choking back tears, Max seen something, and before we knew it, he just jumped into the water. Once the little dog was in the water, those strange eyeless fishes emerged from the deep and ripped him apart. His body was barely there, his limbs torn, his once handsome little face chewed up. Larry saw those fishes come up from time to time, to munch on what was left of their sweet little boy. Every good feeling he had about this boat and the lake house vacation he couldn't wait to take his family on were now completely gone. It was nighttime already when things began to settle. Everyone was still shaken by what happened to Max. They still heard the fish surface from time to time, the snapping of their jaws like typewriter clicks, reminders of the horror they all witnessed. With the engine not running... They couldn't do anything but sit there and float and wait. The emergency generator was operational, but that only powered some lights, and its tank had only run through half of its fuel. While they were all sitting in the dining room, 
they noticed out the windows that the lake was starting to glitter. It was shimmering like there were lights underneath. It was hypnotizing. During this distraction, Franny quickly made her way out the doors to see what was happening. Larry told Liz to stay put with the boys and went out to go get Franny. When he got outside, he found his daughter gazing at the lights with her mouth wide open. Larry was still on edge, looking out for the fish and on guard for any other kind of strange phenomena that should occur. He saw the whole lake was now illuminated. Larry told Franny that it was dangerous out here and they need to get inside, but she didn't pay any heed. She was fixated on the water, tranced by its beautiful essence that she didn't want to take her eyes off of. Larry tried to pull Franny away, but he couldn't. Franny held onto the railing tightly, refusing to let go. Then what she said next turned everyone's blood cold. She said, Dada, I stuck. I, I can't let go. It's holding me. Frogman. Frogman said we leave. Liz came running to help Larry free Franny, but it was as if her hands were welded to the railings. They had to stop. Their attempts to pry their little girl off the railing was causing Franny to scream out in pain. Larry was sweating profusely. He didn't know what to do. Franny kept repeating, The Frogman! The Frogman has come closer! Suddenly, everyone felt a presence coming from behind the boat. They all looked in that direction, and from the mist, they noticed the shadow of something huge. It had to be at least 25 feet tall. Strange noises were also coming from that direction, which sounded similar to a whale cry, but it felt more mechanical, more sinister. The figure had disappeared once it was close to the boat, and everyone looked around. The silence was immediately broken by the screams of agony by baby Franny. Larry wanted so badly to help, but he was clueless. Franny was shivering and screaming. Her little legs were propped up on the bottom rail, pushing herself away as her top half remained glued. Her screams intensified each second until they heard a little pop. Liz fainted at the sight. Franny's eyeballs had shot out like champagne corks. She was screaming and sobbing while blood was pouring down from her empty eye sockets. Larry and the boys were crying and trying desperately to pull Franny back, but it was no use. Eventually, Franny stopped fighting. And that was it from her. With a shaky hand, Larry checked Franny's pulse. He was certain. Franny was dead. Larry broke down in tears and the boys were by him weeping but their peace was short-lived when they noticed something. Liz was being dragged across the deck toward the lake by some strange-looking tentacle. Desperately, Larry tried to pull her back, but the tentacle had gripped her foot below the ankle. Jason quickly went to the kitchen and grabbed a knife. He tried to cut the tentacle, but the knife had practically no effect on it. With a shaky hand and a sick mindset, Jason knew what he had to do in order to save his mom. He knew he would regret this, but there was really no other way. Liz had woken up by now and was trying to fight the tentacle, but it had her foot in such a tight grasp. Crying, Jason held onto his mom's leg, held it in place and told her how sorry he was. He then started sawing into her leg just above where the tentacle had grabbed her. Liz screamed in terrible pain. Larry knew this was also the only way, but didn't want Jason to live with this decision. He also knew that the boy didn't possess the power to saw through the bone. He took over and proceeded to cut off his wife's foot as fast as possible. After some gruesome effort, he finally managed to cut the foot off at the ankle, and the tentacle receded with the leg piece, flopping around leaving behind clots of gore as it pulled the foot overboard into the water with a sickening splash. 
Larry quickly grabbed everyone and dragged them inside the dining room. He took out some spirits from behind the bar and applied them on Lizzie's severed leg and covered the wound with his t-shirt, and he used his belt as a tourniquet. Jason was shaking from what had just happened. His mother, still fighting the pain, told him he did the right thing. Larry couldn't hold back his tears. He collapsed on the floor, looking at the pool of blood his wife was laying in. Knowing if he didn't get her help soon, she would most certainly bleed to death. Now looking over at the corpse of his little girl, still attached to the bloodied railing, Larry squinted in the darkness at Franny's body. He felt as if it just moved. Just then he heard strange creaking sounds, and what sounded like bones snapping. Franny shot up to her feet and said in a blood-curdling deep voice that was not her own, He's insatiable. He wants the whole thing, not just a piece. With those words, she went back to limp, cold, dead. Before Larry and the boys could comprehend what was happening, the tentacle came back. Or should I say tentacles? They burst through the windows of the dining room and grabbed Liz and immediately pulled her out of the cabin. Larry watched in horror as the tentacle wrapped around her limbs and head and snapped her bones like twigs. And then, in a swift movement, the tentacles pulled her body apart. One of them plucked her head off her shoulders like a child pulling off the butt of a dandelion and tossed it. It hit the upper deck, rolled down the slide, and splashed in the pool. Jason and Ryan were screaming in horror. Suddenly they heard something. The engine. It was starting. Larry quickly looked toward the engine compartment. He was sure it was working. He turned around toward the captain's cabin, but was stopped by the strange creature standing in front of him. It looked directly into his eyes. It was covered with mold and dripping with algae. Its eyes were big, yellow, murky orbs. Its body was smooth and slimy, like a frog. Terrified and screaming, he took a few steps back and tripped over his feet and stumbled into the engine room with the door slamming behind him. Falling into the giant running engine, his hands out in front of him to catch himself, getting caught in the rotating gears of the pumping motor. Larry tried to get out, but it was too late. Larry's screams echoed through the tiny metal room as the gears slowly turned and turned, dragging him between the ravenous metal teeth. Moments after, Larry was nothing but a pulp of meat and bones. Jason and Ryan, oblivious to what had just happened to their father, quivered together in the center of the dining room. They heard some awful noises coming from the engine room, but were too afraid to go check them out. They turned and moved a little closer to the back room toward the bedroom. But with each step they took, their heart felt heavier and heavier. Jason heard a faint voice behind them. He turned around and saw that Franny's corpse was missing. They both heard it this time. There was no mistaking it. It was Franny's voice, crying for help. Instinctively, the two brothers jolted toward the pool deck, toward the railing that their sister's lifeless body just moments ago was still clinging to. To their dismay, all they saw were a lot of those eyeless fish gathered around below them. Before they could turn, something pushed them over the railing. Ryan held onto the rail just in time, but Jason wasn't so lucky. He fell into the infested lake waters. Ryan cried and shouted as he saw his brother get devoured and eaten. These fishes came in and bit off chunks of Jason's flesh until he was reduced to bones. Ryan looked up and saw a strange creature looking down on him. Its slimy, disgusting face broke into a grin, revealing its countless needle teeth. It grabbed Ryan and pulled him up to its eye level and bit into his throat. 
instantly killing him. Then, like a starving animal, the creature ripped open Ryan's belly and ate his insides. From the pages of the Duluth Tribune, August 5th, 2008, page 9. Lake Superior find prompts fears about missing Milltown family. The Thomason family of Milltown, Minnesota, has been missing for five weeks after loading up the family for a vacation at the end of June, this reporter learned from a source within the family. The family of five, Father Lawrence, age 45, Mother Elizabeth, age 44, with children Ryan, 14, Jason, 12, and Francis, 2, along with their dog, were reported to have left their home on the morning of June 22nd to make their way to Lake Superior, where they rented a houseboat. Reports say, on the early evening of June 23rd, a nearby fishing boat, who wishes to remain anonymous, received a distress call from the area, where the captain, who was the father with his family, reported the engine had died, and they were stranded. The crew quickly made their way to search, but they couldn't find anything around the area. The team said while they were searching, a veil of mist made it difficult to navigate. One of the crew members had reported even hearing some screams and calls for help, though others cannot confirm his story. The family was declared missing after countless rescue and search attempts yielded no results. However, the case resurfaced after a local sightseeing vessel found the corpse of what appeared to be a two-year-old girl. Later, after searching, police divers found several body parts, including a severed foot laying at the bottom of the lake. From the pages of the Duluth Tribune, August 5th, 2008, page 10. Let us create a carefree and memorable Lake Superior vacation. Don't let it slip away. Call now to reserve the best selection of premier vacation homes. Weeks are filling up fast. Summer is almost over. Don't miss out on this incredible deal. Call now for your chance to win a one-week free houseboat add-on to your vacation package. Our vacation specialists are standing by. I'm Christopher Feinstein, and this is Haunted American History. Music by Kevin McLeod. <laughs>